be found on the inside of your bulletin. In keeping with the theme of the new year, we're looking at a scripture dealing with new creation. And this is 2 Corinthians 5. It's 14 through 18. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 18. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The word of the Lord. Well, there are changes going on in the Redeemer household. We actually have moved offices. I think is the new office, Barry, the new office location here. It's right across from the hospital. Uh, if you know that building right there at Old Donation, uh, where there's like an asthma allergy clinic or lab core is in there. Uh, that's, we have an office in there as well. And the place is a mess. And I have a routine, by the way, how I prepare for a sermon. I actually wake up early. I go to my office, uh, usually around 3, 4 a.m. Uh, you know, I milk the cows, then I begin working. And people ask the question, how are you so relaxed at your sermon? And really, it's because I always bring my own audience here. Before I preach the sermon, there's a full audience. And if Binky loves me, then everybody loves me. So... Needless to say, I went to the office, but the printer's not set up. So I said, okay, no worries. I'll just read it off my laptop. Oh, I'll print it out in the back. So I went to plug in my computer to print it out at the new printer, and it promptly erased my sermon. This is going to be a great New Year's. I can already tell. So uh, it's going to be a good time. So Lord, we need you to show up. Um, I want to talk a little bit about new creations, such as this sermon, which is clearly going to be a new creation. Um, I don't know uh, if you are a person who does new, new uh, year's resolutions, but, uh, you know, I tend to do some things like that, and we got some new things for our new year's resolution, okay? One of the key things, of course, is fitness. You've got to be fit. And so let me introduce to you the Simply Fit Board. Okay, no, no need for an expensive country club membership when you have the Simply Fit board, okay? All you do, you've never seen a pastor doing this, by the way, in his robe, is you stand on the sides and, uh, is my health insurance up? And you start twisting and I just feel the calories burning and the obliques being strength. I'm feeling wonderful. This is my key New Year's resolution for fitness, okay? Very exciting. The Simply Fit Board, I'm going to take it to Wintergreen in a little bit and I'm going to use it. It's going to be great. We've also purchased a cookbook, the Brain Warriors Cookbook, okay? No more soft and flabby brains, no. The Brain Warriors Cookbook, you know, we've got some wonderful, there's a new, you know, Liel and I, we're smoothie people, so this new smoothie I'm particularly excited about. It's uh, five cups of kale, four of Swiss chard, uh, like a cucumber, some cilantro, 
And then where, where's the fruit? Oh, there is no fruit. That is the smoothie. If that's the brain warrior's way, shoot me right now, okay? See, that's the thing about these New Year's resolutions. They're work, right? But we make them. There is something about the new year and newness and trying new things and new ideas. And, you know, where does that come from? This wanting to create a New Year's. Who came up with such an idea? I think it really is that there is a longing in our hearts to be made new. There's a, a groaning, a desire, a sense that we are not all that we are meant to be yet. And so the question is, how are we to respond? How are we to live in that space of already and not yet? For does not this passage say, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That sounds to me to be very present tense. See, I think there are two ways that we can live out life. Every person, Christian or not, has a desire to be made new, to walk in how we were meant to walk. We can either do it according to the newness of our creation in Christ, or we can do it according to what Paul calls the flesh. Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, though we once regarded Christ that way. See, there are two ways to try to be made new. To make yourself new, according to the flesh, or to walk in the newness of who you already are. And so what we're going to do over the next four hours is we're going to take a look at how do we walk in the year 2017. Two different paths, and we will take one of them. You know, whenever you want to go on a journey, you need a couple of things. One, you need a destination. Where am I going? Where's the end goal? But before you can even go on your journey, you need to take stock of where you are right now. So we're going to take stock of where we are right now. We're going to find our North Star of how we are to navigate this life. And we're going to start walking in this new path. So let's begin. Let's find our point, if you will, where we start. And the way we find our point, as I'm gazing through my notes, pay no attention to the man behind the mirror. So look through my rough notes. Notice at verse 16, where Paul says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now Paul is writing this, and Paul is speaking in his own experience of how he once regarded Christ according to the flesh. Remember that Paul was a Pharisee. He lived by the law. He upheld the law. The law was righteousness. To walk in the law and the ways of the Pharisees was to be righteous. And along came Jesus, this rabble-rouser who refused to play ball with the Pharisees, who seemed to invent laws that he could not find in the Old Testament. Jesus was a lawbreaker. And so it would have been a good thing for Paul to see Jesus crucified, for he got what he surely deserved, right? Cursed is everyone who is hung from a tree, says the Old Testament. But it was on the road to Damascus that Paul encountered the living Christ. Remember the one who in Revelation said, Behold, I am alive and I was dead and I am alive again. 
He saw the resurrected Christ in all of his glory. And he was brought to his knees. Who are you, Lord, he asked. And Jesus said, I am Jesus, the very one that you are persecuting. And over a period of three days, the Holy Spirit finally came to Paul and he saw. And he realized the way he had been regarding Jesus, indeed the way he had been regarding the world, was entirely wrong. You know, you can believe in something with all of your heart and it'd be entirely wrong. And so Paul says, in light of what I've seen in Christ, who therefore must be the Lord, who therefore must speak the truth, I can no longer live the way I used to, regarding him or people in the flesh. Jesus is not a lawbreaker, but he's a life giver. Now the world regards people according to the flesh, doesn't it? I was thinking, what are the standards, what are the glasses that the world puts on when we evaluate things, when we evaluate our world? I really see two things, two standards by which we use to evaluate people. Beauty and fame. Beauty the first, the body and beauty. It's our measuring stick of value. It's very interesting if you sort of chart how we value people. Because at one time, morality actually mattered, didn't it? One time we evaluated people on their morality. But it seems that we don't even do that anymore, right? It's your body and your beauty. That's what's most important. And so this is, this is the way women are evaluated. It's not based on their morality. It's simple. If you, good girls work out and take care of their bodies and bad girls do not. It's kind of a silly statement, isn't it, when you boil it down, but it's the truth, isn't it? Their character, their, it doesn't matter. If you walk into any office, you'll find a devotional sitting right there on the desk for you. It's called People Magazine. People Magazine is the devotional of the world. And it, it could not be more two-dimensional in terms of how we look at people. It's based on their beauty, and it's based on their body. And the second measuring stick of how we measure according to the flesh is fame. Or I could even change that word to be notoriety. Because in these days, it doesn't matter if you're famous or if you're infamous, is it? As long as you have the eye of the camera on you. Very interesting seeing this whole Instagram thing, you know? I think of uh, uh, the Kardashians or a B-list celebrity when they're not quite getting the press that they have normally got or feel like they want to get back in the limelight, what do they do? They don't go to Africa and help feed or care for someone, do they? No, they take, they, they, uh, take a naked picture of themselves and they post it on Instagram. And guess what? They're instantly in the press. Infamous is just as good as fame. If I was starving for affection in a very bad way, I can see why people would walk into a movie theater and shoot people. Why? Because the standard is fame. It doesn't matter about goodness. This is the world we live in, and it's bankrupt. 
But Paul says we regard no one anymore according to the flesh. In other words, Paul is saying we don't have to play this game, Christians, anymore. We've been given new eyes to see beyond how shallow this this philosophy of the world is. Christian men, we no longer have to play the game of evaluating women in such a two-dimensional context. Women, I no longer have to evaluate myself and others or men in all of the contexts that are laid on them. We don't have to regard people that way. Why? Because Christ's love, it says, controls us. For he has died for all and therefore all died. See, if this way was the right way, we don't need Jesus, do we? Or if this way could simply be rehabilitated. In other words, we've gone off the path here. Let's steer this back on with a couple of better teachings, a couple better examples. Hey, don't walk that way, walk this way. There would be no need for the cross, would there? But no, it took Christ dying for all. Therefore, all died. What does that mean? It means that there is no way that you can rehabilitate yourself living according to the patterns and standards of this world. There is no New Year's resolution. There is no determination that can get you to be the person that you were made to be. But rather, a new way has been opened. Why? Because therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. What Christ did on the cross was more than rehabilitation. It was resurrection. See, God became man to turn creatures into sons, not so that he could create better men, but rather that he could create a different kind of man. A man entirely different. A new creation. I love the words, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Anyone is a big word, isn't it? It's not for the beautiful. It's not for the not beautiful. It's not for the famous. It's not for the infamous. It is because it's for everybody. If anyone is in Christ... In other words, it's a gift from above. Does it not say that all of this is from God? If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now that's the key word, isn't it? How does one become a new creation? He's in Christ. If I had to take the whole Bible and I could only take two words out of it, just a two-word Bible, Take one scrap, if you will, onto a deserted island. It would be these two words. In Christ. It's in Him that we are a new creation. It's not a new method or motivation, but a new identity. Somehow, Christ has come so close to me that He is in me and I am in Him. Somehow, by virtue of faith in Him, my very identity has been transformed. That I have been moved into a holy, inhabitable place 
where God himself can live by his Holy Spirit. Romans 6 put it this way, do you not know that all of us, speaking of those who are believers, have been baptized into Christ Jesus. All of those who were baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If you are in Christ, you were a dead person and now you're a live person. You may look at me on the outside and look at a picture before I was a Christian and say these are the exact same two people, but they're not. Not at all. I'm a new creation. I'm a new me. How do I know that? Because the old has passed. And the new has come. By the way, that's the perfect tense in the Greek. It means something that's happened that cannot be revoked. You can't go back. You can't change if you're truly in Christ. So it's in Him that the new has come. It's in Him that the old has passed away. So I must ask you the question, in light of the Scripture, how do you see yourself? If you look at your life and you say, oh, Carlos, I'm rotten to the core. It's the exact opposite, actually. You're holy at the core. You're more rotten on the outside. Right? God has began a new work inside of me. Though the outer is wasting away, though the inner is being renewed day by day. It's like God has started a chain reaction in my identity. Moving me from one order to another. Which is permeating into my being. Changing me. So do you see that kind of Christianity? Or is your Christianity merely a veneer? A lacquer that's been put on the outside of you? Of some principles and goals and techniques? Because if you see yourself as that way, there is no New Year's resolution that's going to be able to, really you be able to do if you refuse to see the fact that Christ has transformed you, your mentality will always be, I'm stuck. I can never change. I'm the same person. And the truth of my, the, uh, folks, is this, that if we can't change, we're all doomed. But God is doing a new work. I don't know if you're familiar with the slogan, all the news that's fit to print. Anybody know where that comes from? New York Times. It's on the masthead of the New York Times. Some would say, that's, a, that's an oxymoron. Well, at one time, it wasn't. It came from a guy. His name was Adolf Simon Ox. March 12, 1858. Who was a religious man, a Jewish man. Who was a man of integrity. And after a successful run at a number of papers that he turned around, he bought the New York Times. And he was in a world, a newspaper world, that was awash with sensational journalism. It was called yellow journalism, for some of you. Sensational journalism. Well, Ox despised uh, sensational journalism. He said, we're not going to do that here. 
And so he refused advertisements that he considered dishonest or in poor taste. And he said, we're only going to print the news that is fit to print. And he turned the New York Times around to being one of the strongest papers of that time. Because people had a place to go where they could see objective journalism. Now let me ask you the question now, how's the New York Times doing with that? What changed? Well, the owner is no longer Adolph Simon Ox. It's Ada Arthur Ox Salzberger Jr. Ownership changed. See, as the owner, so the company. And as a result, the New York Times has changed. In fact, Salzberger had to put out an editorial pleading to people not to leave the New York Times, acknowledging the shady coverage and the biased coverage. See, I think that's the way we think about our Christian life. It's whoever's in charge. Yeah, I'm having a good run. Then things are going to go bad. And no. But what this passage is telling us is behold, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. My friends, we don't change ownership. It's one God, one God who by his purposes has reconciled you and called you to himself and given you a new name and a new birth. And because of that, we can be confident in the fact that he who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it. And so you must start from the correct starting point if you ever want to get to the correct ending point. I am in Christ. I am a new creation. God is doing a work in me. I will start on that place. From now on, make a decisive break with the thinking of the world. I no longer have to evaluate people according to the flesh, playing by the same rules. In fact, I no longer have to evaluate me according to the flesh. Because we must see ourselves accurately. We must see ourselves appropriately. And we must see others godly. Well, that brings me to my next point. If we've found the right place from which we start, how shall we navigate? Notice in verse 15. Oh, by the way, the fundamental question that the world tries to answer in doing these things, in living according to the flesh, is this. For whom or for what shall I live? See, they're trying to figure out what the answer is. The world's answer is very simple. Whatever satisfies you. Live for whatever or whoever satisfies you. In fact, it really doesn't matter what it is as long as it is for you. You have your truth and I have my truth. But we have something fundamentally that has changed in our hearts. Why did Christ have to make us a new creation in the first place? Here's why, verse 15. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. See, all that characterizes mankind is an inward focus. A self-centered focus. We live in a sort of prison 
Have you ever met a happy, self-centered person? Can't find them. It's a prison of our own making. Now we can call it whatever it is, but it's the truth. Wasn't that the plight of Satan? Instead of glorifying God, said, I want to be God. And was cast down. See, this is where this world gets it wrong. This world says, true freedom is the ability to do whatever it is that you want. Choose what it is that you want to do and you truly will be free. That's ridiculous. True freedom is doing what you were meant to do and be. Right? Imagine if I went to a stapler and said, you're free, you can do anything you want. But I was meant to staple. Fly fish, leave the water. Enjoy the stratosphere. But I was meant to swim in the ocean. Man, go. Be king. Be lord. Build your palace, your kingdom. Okay. God has freed us from that type of thinking. How? By making us a new creation. I remember when I became a Christian. When I was at age 18, it came upon me pretty sudden. I wasn't looking for him, but he was looking for me. And frankly, I didn't even know that much about Christianity. But I met him and I knew it was right. And as I started to read the scriptures some, even before I really understood them, I noticed strange things happening in my heart. Things that used to not bother me, or I pay attention to, all of a sudden did. And needs and people I started to see in new ways. What was going on? It was the life of God in me, transforming me from the inside out. God has freed us from the slavery of self-centeredness by giving us the only master that will never enslave us, the master that will set us free, Jesus Christ. See, a Christian has noble aims which distinguish him from the bulk of mankind. His leading principles, motives and desires are supernatural and divine. Could he do as he desires? There is not an angel before the eternal throne that would excel him in holiness, love and obedience. He would tread in the very footsteps of the Savior, fill up every moment of his time in his service and employ every breath in his praise. It may surprise you to know that by the end when we are fully resurrected that we will shame the angels in our fealty and worship and praise and obedience to God. No one will be like us in terms of our desire, in terms of in the created order. That is the longing of our hearts. Well, you may say, what? If that's true, why do I struggle so much in this world? Going back and forth between the life of the flesh and the life, I don't want to live that way. If I had written out the whole passage, you would have seen in 2 Corinthians 5.1. Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent of the body, 
We groan in our burden because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that that which is mortal may be swallowed up by life. See, my spirit has been resurrected, but my body has not. My personality, my mind, my will, my emotions, they will be resurrected at the end time, but they still want to default to fleshly ways. If you have a conflict within yourself wanting to be holy and yet finding a force pushing back against you, it is good news. You ever seen those National Geographics, you know, where they show the egg that's about to hatch? It's a really cool picture, you know. Somehow they've gotten a camera in there and you start to see the pecking, right? Looks like an egg. It's just inert. And then this life appears out of it. And you see this clawing, if you will, as this bird seeks to escape this outer shell to become fully what it was meant to be. See, that's what God is doing in our hearts. That's the longing in your heart. And it must become the North Star in how you make your decision. Does it matter... Is it not right to make a New Year's resolution to get fit? The answer is perhaps. Who are you doing it for? Are you doing it for the applause of the world? Are you doing it for the flesh? Or are you doing it to please the Lord? My body is a temple. It's a gift to Him. Are you taking that cooking class? Are you learning that skill? Are you turning over that new leaf for the world and for myself? Or because you know that it brings God pleasure? That great line by Eric Little, right? I have to run because when I run, it gives God pleasure. God has given us a new North Star, a new beating heart that longs to praise Him. And so we must adjust our course, whichever course we are to walk in 2017 as we follow that star. Love the story of Christopher Columbus. I don't know if you know much about old Chris. Okay, he was actually a, uh, somewhat of a novice navigator. A lot of people, they bought the story that um, people thought it was a terrible idea to go left because they thought the world was flat. Not true. Actually, by the year... 2 BC, they had discovered the inclination of the earth and pretty accurately measured the circumference of the earth. The reason no one would do it is because they thought it was water all the way around. And no ship would be able to make it all the way around. It would run out of provisions and die on the water. Well, Columbus was foolhardy and said, no, my calculations show different. We're going to find a new passage to Asia. They're not even looking for a new world, mind you. And so while everyone was going one way, Columbus said, I'm going that way. There was a pull in his heart, so to speak. A foolhardy one? I don't know. It's a pretty good find, wasn't it? And so what did Columbus discover? A new world by walking in a different way, a way that no one else would take. As I think of Columbus, I think of us. 
If you're wondering, what am I supposed to do in the year 2017? Look at where the world's going and go the exact opposite way. They'll say it's crazy. You're going to fall off the face of the earth. You'll never make it around. Follow this path. It's the safe one. But we know better. We've been given new eyes. We're a new creation with a new purpose. So set your course. Choose the path. My final point is this. That as you go, God wants to use you to enlighten the world to himself. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. People ask, I, I want to join this church. What ministry should I do? Well, my ministry, I'm not really good at this. I'm not really good at this. I, I don't know what ministry to do. I'll say, I'll, here's the first ministry to start off with. The ministry you've been given. The ministry of reconciliation. And then go sing in the choir. And then and go do that different thing. See, something happens as you, a new creation, walk to please God. People look at you and go, there is something crazy about that person. There is something crazy and undeniably attractive. Because they seem to know who they are and where they're going. The Bible says in Matthew 5.16, In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may praise your good deeds that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. As you're charting your course for 2017, this should not be going through your head. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, that'll never work. Rather, how am I to be a shooting star lighting up the heavens for God as I go about my business? Running for the school board. Running around the block coming in early with your Bible and reading before your class starts. God is calling us to great things because God has made us a new creation. We carry the resurrected life of Jesus Christ in us. And we have a noble path to walk. So my goal was not to tell you what New Year's resolution to make, but how to make them. And make them not only on New Year's. What is God stirring in your heart right now? Remember who you are. Remember how to navigate. And remember what God wants to do. So, if you want to leave the year 2016 behind, if you want to leap into the year 2017, you certainly can. But here's the reality. Wherever I go, there I am. But praise God. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Resurrected at the core. Walk proudly in your identity. Not because of your efforts, but because of his. Fix your eyes on Jesus, our North Star. I promise you, I don't know what the path looks like. But it will be glorious in the fact that it will be filled with Him. And whether in the darkest cave or in the highest mountain, 
If He is there, and His power is there, there is joy, and there is hope, and there is peace, and there is love. Let's pray. God, thank you that you did not leave me stuck with me, but you made me the me that I am to be. Lord, you have made me a new creation and put new inclinations in my heart. God, let me no longer be captive to the incessant chatter of this world. Let me turn my eyes and mind onto things, your word, your truth, your fellowship that help to cement in my mind the truth that I was designed to live for you. And let us boldly go where no man has gone before as we seek to live out your purposes. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.